0: Good morning, friends. I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and we are talking about how to develop a blueprint for healthy relationships. Many of you are aware that this week uh, Barbara Bush uh, passed away. Her funeral was yesterday, and in some of the stories of her life, I came across um, an interesting uh, detail. In 1990. She was the uh, graduation speaker at Wellesley College, an all-women's school, and that speech in 1999 was called one of the greatest speeches in the entire century, one of the 100 greatest speeches. In that time, this is what she said, cherish your human connections. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict. We're not closing one more deal. You will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, and a parent. I think what she was saying, that life is about relationships. Relationships matter. They need to be a priority in our life. But the difficulty, and I think we would all acknowledge this, is that relationships sometimes are painful. The brokenness that is in our world is ours an experience when there's pain, when there's unresolved conflict? Uh, relationships are messy. Conflicts are common. We receive from others painful words rejection, betrayal, injustice, broken promises, and abuse, and they leave us wounded. How do you deal with that? What happens when we experience those kinds of things in our life? Our soul is wounded. Trust is broken. Our human reaction is revenge. Our emotions are enraged with anger and the risk is bitterness. I just want you to know this is not just theoretical to me, not only because I've pastored for some 40 years. I was thinking about this this week and thinking about the um, farmer's insurance ad that says we've learned a few th- a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And I just want to tell you in 40 years, I've seen a thing or two when it comes to the, the difficulties in relationships and the need that we have to be able to experience and extend forgiveness. It's also pretty personal to me. Last Monday marked 18 years since my dad died went home to heaven. And as I was reflecting on my relationship with my dad, I'm the youngest of three boys, I have a younger sister, I I was remembering that that relationship growing up was an abusive relationship. Verbally, emotionally, and on several occasions physically. My dad grew up in a home where that was his experience and he simply passed on what was known to him. I can remember working with my dad and I, and I never particularly enjoyed that because he would send me to his shop and dad had an, a disorganized way of organizing things. And he'd send me to get a tool and I can remember standing in front of his big red mechanic's toolbox because he was a mechanic and, and, tr- and trying to find a tool knowing that if I didn't bring the right tool back, there would be blue smoke verbally. Later, my dad came to Christ when I was 18 years old. And God began to change our relationship, and God began to change my dad. The grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ began to transform my relationship with my dad. When when dad died, two things happened. My brothers and I were going through all of the things. A couple years after that, my mom was moving out of the old farmhouse down into Pennsylvania, and we're sorting through Dad's things and the three boys kind of deciding which things we're going to keep, I said to my brothers, I want the toolbox. It's a memorial to me of the relationship of Dad and how God changed him and how our relationship changed. We also found in going through Dad's papers a letter that I had written to him when I was in Bible college asking him for forgiveness because I recognized that I had not honored my father, that I had dishonored him in some very specific ways. In that letter, I detailed that, and I asked him for forgiveness. So I want you to know, when I think about this topic of forgiveness, it's a very real issue in our relationships, isn't it? You can think of somebody, I'm sure every one of us can think of somebody who is deeply wounded or hurt you. And I want us to walk through this together and think about it. How do we deal with that? The Bible is realistic and relevant when it comes to the issue of pain it exposes the root cause of all of this in sin and the fall and how it affects us it reveals the pain but it leads us friends get this this pain this suffering this hurt this brokenness leads us to the foot of the cross and that's where we find the grace to forgive the word forgiveness in the New Testament literally means to cancel a debt. Just think of a, a bill or a loan that you had, and when it was paid in full, you get that paper, it's paid in full. That's what forgiveness means. And for us, forgiveness is canceling someone else's debt because Christ paid mine. But why should I forgive somebody who hurt me? Really? Well, on the screen you'll see these verses, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, desire to hurt and revenge. And in contrast to that, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Now, now catch this. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We are commanded by God to forgive one another in the same way that we've been forgiven. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, a parallel passage. He says, put on like a garment, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved by God, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then he says, above all these Wrap it in the outer garment of love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I hope you caught that in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul is saying the same thing, and it's repeated in other passages of scripture. I am told to forgive because I've been forgiven. In other words, the the, the gospel confronts us with our need to forgive. The gospel tells us where we can find forgiveness ourselves, but it also confronts us that we need to forgive others. And forgiveness is both motivated by and measured by God's forgiveness of us. Why should I forgive those who have hurt me? Why should I forgive those who have caused such pain in my life? Why should I forgive those who have verbally or physically abused or those who have broken their promises and those who have caused me suffering and pain? Why should I forgive? The motivation, Paul says in both these passages, is because I've been forgiven. And the measure to measure how much I should forgive is because I've been forgiven. At the foot of the cross, I receive forgiveness, but I also learn how to forgive. Another question, where can I go to find grace to forgive? First of all, at the foot of the cross. You remember of the seven words that Jesus said when he was crucified, as he's hanging there on the cross. And he he had done nothing wrong, nothing illegal, nothing to deserve that. Even the other thief on the cross said that. This man's done nothing amiss. Pilate said, I found no fault in him. So Jesus is being crucified, not for anything he did. And yet on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you hear that? The Son of God extends forgiveness to the Jewish leaders who are shaking their fists and scorning and mocking him at that very moment. He extends forgiveness to the Roman soldiers who had crucified him. He extends forgiveness even to his disciples who had run from him. Only one was at the foot of the cross. Jesus on the cross extends forgiveness. And let me remind you that none of them at that point had repented or changed or confessed. They weren't apologizing. They weren't repentant. They weren't confessing. Jesus extends forgiveness before they do. And you say, and my reaction has sometimes been the same. Well, you know, but that's Jesus. He's the son of God. I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm human. I got problems. Okay. Check out with me. Acts chapter seven. Why don't you see this? It's a story of of Stephen, the first martyr of the church age. A man who we're told was filled with the spirit, filled with grace, filled with wisdom. We see in his sermon he was filled with scripture. And in verse 55 of Acts chapter seven, we read about him, but he full of the Holy Spirit, because they're they're enraged and, and grinding their teeth at him, he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, therefore, see, the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out to him with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the foot of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. Lord Jesus, received my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Friends, if I was to choose a way to die, death by stoning wouldn't be on the list. Death by stoning was a punishment that was a part of the Jewish law, and it meant that if you were guilty of a crime... They could throw rocks at you, a crowd, until you were hopefully, mercifully, knocked unconscious. And then they would continue to throw rocks at you, big rocks that broke your bones. And you'd be buried under a a bunch of rocks. That's what was happening here. Stephen is being brutally beaten for simply speaking the truth from Scripture about Jesus. And Stephen then says, lay not the sin to their charge. How can we do that? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't full of revenge. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't full of bitterness and wrath and anger and malice. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was controlled not by the impulses of the flesh. And, and in that moment as he says that, in just a few chapters later, when Saul of Tarsus, who was holding the garments, is on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, who was there when Stephen was martyred, Jesus confronts him on the road, and he says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, sharp-pointed sticks that were used for, for driving cattle and oxen. What's he talking about? The conviction in, in Saul of Tarsus's heart because of the forgiveness of Stephen. He had never seen anybody forgive like that. So, friends, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Stephen said, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And I say about Stephen, how Christlike. So where can I learn to forgive that way? At the foot of the cross. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to forgive the way. That's where we can find the grace to forgive. What are the results of not forgiving? rest of our time together in terms of um, in the scriptures we're going to be in Matthew and I want you to see a couple of things about forgiveness in terms of what are the results if we don't forgive two passages in Matthew Matthew chapter 6 this is where Jesus is giving as a part of his sermon on the mount um, how we're to pray an outline of prayer for us and in the midst of what we call the Lord's Prayer better called the disciples prayer in verse 12 he said, forgive us our debts, not talking financially, he's talking our, these, these issues in our life, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now look at the condition. He says, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Down in verse 14 is the only uh, part of this prayer that he opens up and explains. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is saying your experience of God's forgiveness and a life of fellowship with him is dependent upon your willingness to forgive other people. That's a really strong statement. In other words, if we're not willing to extend forgiveness to other people, we are not going to experience the forgiveness of God. And without the forgiveness of God, we can't live a life of joyful fellowship with God. So Jesus links that together. Look over with me in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about conflict and relationships and in verse 15 of Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. In other words, deal with it individually. Don't talk to someone else about it. Don't gossip, don't slander. Go to them. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You've reconciled the relationship. But if he doesn't listen, take two or, take uh, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to, to listen to them, tell it to the church, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And he, he then speaks about the authority he has entrusted to the disciples and to the church in this way. He said, um, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And if you look down a little further in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus after this talk about resolving conflict and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, the Jewish law said you are obligated to forgive somebody three times. You read the rabbis, that's what they said. Three times, sort of like baseball, three strikes and you're out, right? Three times I'm going to forgive. And then Peter, knowing how generous and gracious and loving and merciful Jesus is, he said, that, what do you say, Jesus, seven times? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven is more likely what the translation is. If you do the math, that's 490. I don't think Jesus is saying when you get to 491, you don't have to keep forgiving. I think his point is that we continue to extend forgiveness just like we've been forgiven. My question to you is, how often do you need God's forgiveness? I need it daily. I need it every day. Every day I need God's forgiveness. And I'm so glad that God doesn't count to 491 and say, okay, Jim, you're out of here, man. I'm glad he continues to extend forgiveness. And that's what he's called us to do. So then Jesus tells a story. He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So you have a king, and in this story, the king represents God, and we are one of his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a a talent was the equivalent of a day's work. So 10,000 days work. Whatever your daily salary would be, you just multiply it. You know that this amount is an insurmountable debt that the person could never pay. The Bible doesn't tell us how he got into debt that deeply, but there was no way that he could ever repay it. That's the idea. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and his children, all that he had for payment. In other words, he could be sold into slavery. That was common practice if you couldn't pay your debt. A servant falls on his knees, implored him, have patience with me and I, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and, watch this, forgave him the debt. So who paid the debt of 10,000 talents? The king did. Forgiveness is never cheap. The king absorbed the debt. I'll pay it. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, much Less money. Let's just say for the expression here, 20 bucks. And he seized him. He began to choke him, began to throttle him. And he said, um, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down on his and fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that echo a little bit? He refused and he went and put him into prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw that it had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They told the story to the king. And the master summoned and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers that he should pay his debt. And so my heavenly Father will do to everyone if you don't forgive your brother from your heart i I want to just say to you that when you bottle up bitterness like acid in your soul it hurts you more than the other person an unforgiving spirit is a torture to your soul and the torment the torment that he's talking about here Uh, We we could go into a lot more detail about the possible meaning and application of what Jesus says at the end of this, but he clearly is linking our experience of forgiveness with our extending of the forgiveness he's already shown to us. And the story says this, God has forgiven you and I a huge amount in our forgiveness on the cross. Would you agree with that? Every sin you've ever sinned, Jesus paid the debt on the cross, a huge debt that you owed and I owed. We're like the servant of the king who's been forgiven so much. And now he says to us, I want you to show that same forgiveness to your mate, to your boss, to your parents, to your siblings, to that teacher, to that coach, to that friend who betrayed you, to that child. I want you to extend the same forgiveness that I've extended to you. Now, if that's the result, our fellowship with God is broken, our relationship with others is unreconciled, our souls are tormented by bitterness, then when I forgive, does that eliminate the consequences? This is a a hard question. Let me ask it this way. When you forgive someone, does that mean that they're totally off the hook? And the answer is yes and no, they're totally off the hook in terms of you billing them with revenge and anger and bitterness. But the Bible makes clear that there's a distinction here, I want to just make three different distinctions. In the the example of David in the Bible, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you remember the story where David commits the double sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband, Remember? And Nathan the prophet comes in and confronts him. And upon being confronted, David responds to Nathan the prophet and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Repentance and confession. And if you want to read between the blanks, Isaiah, 50, Psalm 51, Psalm 32 is David's heart of repentance during this time. How crushed and broken he was over his sin. The man after God's own heart. And it was almost a relief to him when Nathan confronts him and he confesses his sin. And Nathan responds this way. Catch this. God has forgiven your sin. God's forgiven your sin. What a relief to the heart of David. But then in verse 14, Nathan says this, However, because by your sin you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born unto you is going to die. And he goes on to detail what the lasting consequences are going to be of sin. You read the rest of David's life, a rape that happens in his household, a son who but kills his brother, a rebellion from Absalom, and all the consequences of sin in David's life. Forgiveness does not always mean the consequences are removed. Paul, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9, gives what I call the law of the farm, that if we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so he's basically saying, and he says in that passage, God cannot be mocked. There are consequences for sin. Friend, listen, if you sin against somebody and they forgive you, please don't assume that there's going to be no consequences from God. Now, I'm not sure that we're always to be the one giving out the consequences. and parental relationships, yeah, I think there's a responsibility there. But we're not to take revenge on others, God says. But there are consequences that are lasting, right? We understand that? And yet, in the same passage in Galatians 6, 1-2, he said that we who are spiritual such, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. So we're not the ones who are to be vengeful in taking putting on people consequences, especially in adult relationships, but we are to recognize that there are consequences. God in his mercy and his love and grace many times will take those consequences out. He doesn't have to, but there's many times when I've seen God do that in his mercy and his love and his grace where he, he, is, he just withdraws consequences that we probably would have deserved. And then Solomon's wisdom, Proverbs 25, 19 uh, very interesting. Solomon said that trust in an, an unfaithful man is like a broken tru- uh, tooth, not truth, a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Think about that: A broken tooth you can 't chew on it very well. A foot out of joint, you can 't walk on it very well. Solomon says that there 's times when a person 's been unfaithful, you can 't actually trust them. And one of the things i 've learned is that sometimes people assume that when they are forgiven, then trust is reestablished instantly. When you forgive someone, that does not mean that instantly trust is rebuilt. And the responsibility to develop that trust back is primarily on the person that broke the trust. I put in a a chart there for you. There's four pillars of trust, integrity, honesty, wisdom, and love. I, I share that with you to be helpful. That when I have broken trust with somebody, I've, I've broken at least one of those pillars. Lack of character, that's integrity. Not perfection, but, but wholeness of character, it means. Honesty, when you've lied to someone. When you lack wisdom because you've made foolish decisions that don't align with the wisdom of God. And a lack of love means I've acted in my self-interest instead of sacrificing myself for another person. If you want to rebuild trust, rebuild integrity, honesty, wisdom, and love. It's the responsibility of the person that's broken trust to do that. I remember with our kids when they were growing up, and they had broken trust with us as parents, and they would say, well, you don't trust me. I said, whose responsibility is that? Nobody in this world owes you trust, friends. Trust is the responsibility of the individual to be trustworthy, Now, I do believe when you forgive somebody, you're willing to extend trust in that time in a gracious, loving way, and you'll work with them in rebuilding that trust. That's that's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Can I say something else? Um, In the person who's been deeply wounded by abuse and brokenness, and there's horrific things that have happened, I'm sure, to people in this room right now, and your stories, if you were to tell them about, about something that's happened that was so traumatic in your life. And there's sometimes that one of the consequences is you can forgive, but that forgiveness sometimes needs to be repeated over time as layers of that get exposed in your life. And, and sometimes it takes a lot of work and of, of prayer and meditation in the Word of God and sometimes counseling to be able to really, really get underneath that and deal with that and I just want you to know friends that doesn't mean you're not forgiven it just means that the woundedness in your soul was so deep that it sometimes can take a long time in processing that and that's one of the consequences of those kind of deep sins Uh, forgiveness is not always just throwing a switch sometimes it's a process that is ongoing of choosing once again as the pain is uncovered to deal with forgiveness that way so how can I start on the path of forgiveness Well, you have a list of scripture passages there, and um, I'm not going to quote the reference, but I want you to listen to these metaphors, these pictures that God gives of forgiveness. Uh, The psalmist said, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. Um, But in love, you have delivered my life. You've cast all my sins behind your back. I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will not think or remember them again. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I've scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. That's the cross. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Friends, God is omniscient, and he doesn't forget anything. It's saying that God's not going to allow that past sin that he has forgiven to be brought up in the relationship we have with him. It's a non-issue. In those days, says the Lord, no sin will be found in Israel or Judah, for I will forgive the remnant I preserve. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. I was reading yesterday that there's a place in the ocean down along South America that's seven miles deep. God says, I'm going to bury it that deep. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. John writes, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, those are expressions of the way God forgives you. And I'm grateful for that. That's why I wanted you to have these references because some of you need to claim those promises of God for your own forgiveness. And some of you need to claim them in terms of how you forgive someone else. If God forgives that way, that's how he calls us to forgive. Remembering it no more burying it in the depths of the deepest sea, separating as far as the east is from the west, cleansing it from that. That's how God forgives us. Receive that forgiveness from God and extend that forgiveness to others. So how do we respond? If, if, you're, if you're dealing with guilt in your own life, then I encourage you to claim his promise in 1 John 1, 9, and to run to the cross and to receive from the Savior forgiveness and cleansing because he promises to forgive all who confess and pray asking God to show you who you need to forgive and whose forgiveness you need to seek in my relationship with my dad I I had forgiveness issues I had to extend to him but I needed to receive forgiveness too and I want you to know that in my adult life my relationship with my dad got better and better and better and better And I have a lot of really good memories in my adult life of my relationship with my dad because of what God did through the cross of Jesus Christ to both extend forgiveness and teach me how to forgive. And Prepare your heart for the conversation that if you're going to have that conversation with someone you need to forgive with grace and humility and love and truth, take the step of faith and obedience to God to be able to extend that. And remember, friends, the last chapter has not been written in that relationship. If you're harboring bitterness and resentment towards someone else, if there is revenge in your heart, if there's unresolved forgiveness issues, before you ever go to them, you can forgive them. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross, and that's what Stephen did. You can forgive before you even confront. But in many cases, that conversation needs to happen as a part of the healing. Friends, relationships are messy. Conflict happens. Pain and brokenness is a part of what it means to have relationships. But the Bible, the Word of God, points us to the cross of Calvary and says that's where forgiveness can be experienced in your life and that's where forgiveness can be extended to those who have hurt you. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ makes that possible. Only the good news of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus makes it possible for me to be forgiven and to extend that forgiveness. Don't let a guilty conscience or a bitter spirit keep you from living the life of fellowship with God that he's called you to live. Because life is about relationships and life is too short to have bitterness keep you from your relationship with God in your relationship with others. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us on the cross what forgiveness looks like. And thank you that through the Holy Spirit, like Stephen, we can extend that same forgiveness to others. God, I pray. I pray for some of us here today that have unresolved issues with others that we've not forgiven and the anger, and the hurt, and the pain, the bitterness, the rage, the wrath, the desire for revenge. Oh God, would you take that away? Remind us that we've been forgiven, so we can forgive. And Father, for those who are here that have unresolved issues with you and others where they need your forgiveness, Lord, may they come back to the foot of the cross, receive your forgiving grace and be willing to go to others and to acknowledge and to apologize and to confess and to know your forgiveness afresh in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.